This is Energy Thinks, a podcast about how the oil and gas industry can future-proof against rising social risk and lead the world into the energy future. I'm Tisha Schuler, your host and the principal of Adamantine Energy. On today's show, I have a conversation with Paula Gant, Senior Vice President of Strategy and Innovation at the Gas Technology Institute. This show was originally recorded as a webinar, so you'll hear that I'm taking questions and comments from the audience. We talk about what it means for the oil and gas industry to return to work after the pandemic. And we think about what are the new questions that company leaders have to be asking every day with such a fluid and disruptive situation. To learn more about these webinars, our other podcasts, and work at Adam and Team, please visit our website at energythinks.com. Now, I hope you enjoy our inaugural podcast in my conversation with Paula Gant. Paula, thank you for being here. So excited to have you. Um, before we jump in, tell us about feedthefight.org that we're supporting today. Thanks, Tisha. I can say that it's really a treat to get to see you. And um, it's extraordinary in these times. Um, and we notice how much we miss seeing our colleagues and our friends. So it's great to actually see you. Although you look like you're kind of a watercolor right now, which is kind of cool. Makes uh, my skin look flawless, don't you think? I mean, it's an advantage of these times. Exactly. I need that <laughs> effect on mine. Um, to Feed the Fight actually was started by two women in the neighborhood next to mine at the beginning of what I have taken to calling the extraordinary period that we find ourselves in. And it's spread to five different, at least five cities right now. And it's just people connecting with local restaurants to support them getting money to those restaurants and they deliver food to first responders and our medical professionals. And um, it's really quite extraordinary how it's grown. Of course, there are so many people doing such important work out there on the front lines and I'm, we're grateful for all of them. Great, thank you Paula for highlighting that for us. And I hope if you're participating that you'll think about supporting uh, Feed the Fight as well. So I was in DC a couple months ago when we were all traveling and leaving our homes. And um, I hadn't really been thinking about the potential of being isolated and not working in offices. And you, Paula, were already starting to contemplate not only what the next phase of working at home and isolating and ending travel, but you were already starting to think about the phase in and the phase out. So I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how you think about this in the big picture. What are the macro uh, factors that affect your thinking so that we can get a, a, a little foresight both into this moment, but what's coming next? Yeah. Thanks, Tisha. And it's, uh, it's a privilege to get to share some thoughts with you. And I'm really looking forward to the questions from folks on the call and some conversation. Um, you know, I just have to start by saying, you know, we're all in uncharted territory here. Uh, it's uh, certainly new territory for me as a leader, much less as a human being, right? It's revealed how interconnected and interdependent we all are, and how some of the things that we take for granted um, can change quite suddenly. And the, the most important thing for us, in, and we, were, we began considering changes to our operations in January as a result of some international activities that we were engaged in, particularly in Asia. And what I found most challenging for us was to overcome something that I now understand to be the normalcy bias, which is an efficient mechanism in the brain 
for us assuming the future is gonna go the way things have gone in the past. And it's really efficient when things do, but when things don't present like we expect them to, if we don't acknowledge it, we continue to, to provide um, answers to the same questions when we actually need to ask new questions. Mm. And I, I found that um, that was the most important thing for us at critical times is um, among our daily planning sessions with our officer team, at some point, someone stopping and saying, wait, I'm not sure we're asking the right question. And being comfortable, even if we don't have an answer, knowing that the questions actually changed um, has been really important for us. And in, having, in, in really having the safety of being able to say, right, what we thought we were planning for this week has completely reality has already shifted on us and we need to keep moving um, and recognizing that's a reality, not a failing mm-hmm. has been really important for us. I think um, that's, that's so interesting. I, I want you to continue with that thought, but I want to put a, an exclamation point on it because stopping in the middle of what feels like an upside down world and saying, instead of saying, how do we get right side up, which is what we want to do. Um, you're suggesting that we essentially say, are we asking the right questions and what are new questions that haven't occurred to us yet? So there's quite a lot of holding on for dear life at the same time that you're anticipating that what got us here will not take us forward. Absolutely. And, and you do have to find some ground to work from. And, you know, we started with, I'm sure it, all of the organizations represented on this call with saying what matters most. That's our, our employee safety and our responsibility to our communities. And so first things first, um, sending our uh, employees home and uh, providing a means for remote work and saying and communicating very clearly that we were doing that because we were prioritizing their safety. So real focus on the people, but also communicating to them that we, we expected them to have exercised their responsibility to their community. So mm-hmm. if you're, you're going to work from home, we'd like you to stay there so we can, we can tackle this beast, right? But that, get, that, that was actually an organizing force for us and how to, fo- how to deal with the immediate. And it continues to endure as we, as we work our way through what we're calling re-entry. So we've got the extraordinary period. We've got some sort of re-entry and out there somewhere, a new normal. But as we work through re-entry, we're also just keep coming back to our first priority is the people and keeping our people safe. And, and there's really nothing that's more important than that. Um, that gives us footing in a lot of uncertain time, you know, a lot of uncertain times. And then the next priority after that is our customer commitments. And how are we delivering for our customers? How are we connecting with our customers? And so that gets beyond the individual responsibility that we're communicating to our employees, but also individual contribution because we all wanna feel like we're doing something purposeful and that matters. Let, Let me riff off of what you said that I think is interesting. So we're all seeking some footing, something solid and you, and you referred what matters most. Is it important for organizations to tie in their planning to their values? Is that something that you return to or are we in such uncharted territory that maybe those aren't appropriate to to think about? Or I imagine you need some form of guardrails that say this is who we are and how we're gonna approach this. Yeah, it's really interesting. 
there's two things it brings to mind is um, the importance of the importance. That's not even a word, is it? The important. You get to make them up. It's extraordinary times. I mean, extraordinary times language, right? The importance <laughs> of um, a shared sense of purpose and also the importance of hope. Mm. So this extraordinary period in this pandemic is illuminating our connectedness, right? In some ways that are uncomfortable and some ways that are really quite special um, and our commonalities. And if we can find ways uh, among, with our colleagues to really focus on that connectedness um, in positive ways, that becomes a sense of, of sense of stability. It provides something constant that we can rely on. And to your point, helping us find a place where we can get our footing in these times is really important. But also, I think it's a, a role of leadership and working with one another that we identify ways to give people hope. And hope is something, really it boils down to something to look forward to. Mm. And in a sense that uh, what we're doing matters and it's gonna add up to something. And it gives us a way to see beyond the chaos and the complexity and move beyond what needs to be done in order to survive today, if you will, mm -hmm. and, and also begin to focus on what could be done. Uh, and if we were thinking about our common purpose and our hope of how we're gonna influence the future, then that allows us to move into that space of asking new questions. Because um, there's, there's important you know, questions we have to ask today that we know and we need to answer to secure the basics. But then we also need to ask not just what needs to be done, but what could be done in the future. How could things go differently? Mm. And hope opens up that part of our brains. We know that in order for people to be creative, we need to be working in the front part of our brain, the frontal lobe, right? Um, and when we don't feel safe, when we don't feel connected, uh, we don't feel that sense of shared purpose, we tend to retreat to the lizard part of our brain in the back, which is not where the great thinking comes from. So yeah, I think it matters that, that organizations provide hope, stability, transparency, because it moves us into that front part of the brain where we're more productive. So that's Aside great. It, it makes it fun to work together. Let, let me... Um, pull that the hopeful thinking into the pragmatic and I'm going to push in a way that might be uncomfortable for all of us but it, that's working toward that reality piece which is um, communication is going to be a huge part of one of the things we need to talk about today and of course I love the idea of hope and um, there's going to be some big trade-offs with maybe personal freedoms or invasions of privacy or just the burden of new logistics. How are you thinking about those trade-offs? And um, if, if it's not too much, how are you communicating those trade-offs? Because um, in the end, we're going to have to get employee buy-in to a bunch of burdensome factors, whatever they may end up being. So, yeah, lots of um, new aspects for us to work through um, that are particularly American too, right? Our sense of our independence um, and um, this idea of interconnectedness and particularly in the workplace is one that we're still sort of grappling with and, and defining. And, I, and, I, and that is part of why we have taken a very deliberate approach to communicating how we're prioritizing people um, and then our expectations that 
that our people are prioritizing their responsibilities to their communities and to the into the community um, of our organization. So that applies to if you're home and um, you can work from home and you can help commit uh, prevent community spread. We expect you to do that is how we're communicating. But also as we look at our reentry plans, um, we are being mindful of uh, ever, whatever procedures we put in place to maintain our work, our worker safety, that they're only as effective as people prioritizing them for themselves and their coworkers. And we don't want people to be in a position of having to police their coworkers, right? We wanna create a culture in which everyone understands it's their individual responsibility to, to the organization and to their coworkers to prioritize health and safety. And um, so do we have a, a clear idea about how we're gonna do that? Not quite yet, but we're, but we're working through it. And, but we know that it means that at a senior level in an organization, we're, gonna, we're having to communicate new aspects of our culture. Which, in, which emphasize our interconnectedness and our responsibility to one another in a way that we, we haven't had to do in the past. It's so interesting because I didn't expect in our conversation about return to work, I expected it to be about logistics and entry points and physical barriers, but so far we've covered, and I just wanna note for the audience in case you wanna um, have a question or push back on some of these things, but we're, we're focusing on hope interconnectedness, culture, communication. So this is really important because these will either um, be the foundation or maybe the ties that bind the success of the logistics. So that this is already, this is interesting and going in a direction that I didn't expect at all. So to, to layer on top of these, these themes of, um, of, of how we approach this and go about it, can you talk, Paula, a little bit um, about brass tacks? What are some of the best practices that are, that are just going to be have to be in play in a return to office or uh, laboratories in, in some cases? Uh, that, and you can just tick off some things that you, that you all are thinking about that's, that really everyone should have on their list for consideration. Yeah, so in our re-entry phase, and again, who knows what that really means, right? It's, you know, what we know is that there's no pattern to follow here. Um, we're thinking uh, about a, a set of categories for re-entry, but we have some guiding principles that we've established to work groups that have responsibility for those areas that I'll set out in a minute. But the guidelines or the guiding principles, I should say, that are set by our officer team our first, we're going to um, do this in compliance with local laws and regulations and orders, right? Again, we find ourselves with all these local orders that have different aspects, and we have facilities in six states. So, um, first and foremost, we're going to tell our people we're going to do, we're going to be, we're going to be in compliance with local orders. But that doesn't mean if local orders are relaxed in a way that we feel um, does not reflect. Uh, maintaining the safety of our employees that we're going to follow, you know, we're going to loosen up when the orders loosen up. That again, we're going to continue to prioritize their safety. The next principle is if there's no benefit for you being in a facility, then we expect you to stay at home. Mm -hmm. so, so our employees don't get to decide. There's no gray area. If there's no benefit to you being in a facility, for example, if you don't need to do lab work, um, your job could be done at home, stay at home. 
Um, if you are in a facility, we uh, expect you to minimize your time there to only the, the actions that are necessary in the facility. And then there gets down to the, the basics of you need to maintain dis uh, distance. You need to protect yourself with shielding and PPE. Um, we are, we will have a schedule where we are cleaning and, and, and having cooling off periods for facilities um, in between um, shifts um, or teams of employees going in. Um, and to consider and recommend to us um, on a cost benefit basis, if we should be modifying some of our facilities um, to accommodate what we think will be an enduring um, circumstance for us for, for many months. So then we've got teams that are working on different aspects of that. So one is working on facilities. Again, thinking about people that have to get back into labs for us because we're an R&D organization. Another team working on field work, which will involve a different set of issues because you're going to have people do self-screening because increasingly you want mm -hmm. people doing uh, solo field work rather than having a team go. And so how do you, you self-screen so that we can verify to our customers if, they, if we have to go to a customer facility that we've taken the appropriate steps to safeguard them. Um, we also have a team working on new corporate policies that uh, deal with HR and legal. Um, even starting with, we just developed a new policy that sets out the authorities for facilities closure and access and who can close them and who can open them. We never needed that before. Right, right. So, um, and then a fourth bucket is guidance on how to transition all of our convening and our interaction with our customers and products we deliver to a new set of standards that are, vir that are virtually and digitally driven. So different norms for how we convene and engage our customers and our partners that we need to standardize uh, across the enterprise. So this, that, that is such an amazing beginning of a laundry list. And I imagine we're going to get requests for us to uh, articulate and enumerate that. So uh, if, you, if you are wanting that and you're watching, let, let me know. Um, and I'll, I'll go ahead and just, I just want to share one of the questions that we've gotten already because it's really relevant to what you just said, Paula. Um, and remind everyone to please go ahead and chime in with your questions, thoughts, pushback. You're not going to offend us. We want to have a, a challenging, exciting conversation here. Um, so that's a lot of policies. Um, two questions. How do you balance bureaucracy with efficiency? And then, um, and then the second one is, do you have to communicate differently now um, with your employees uh, and that even lends itself to many more questions that are buzzing around in my head, but I'll let you have two at a time, so. Um, okay, the second one was comms differently. Okay, so on the first one, really good question. We're actually gonna have very few policies. Like we only have one new policy thus far. Um, we have guidance and um, that gets developed at an officer team level. And then we push the decision-making and the action plan development and the guidelines down to working teams in the, in the business that the closer, that really get as close to the work as possible. The supervisor having to make the decision on, does this need to be work, this work need to be done here or there. Um, and so we're pushing this down as far as possible while giving people guiding principles or mm -hmm. policy direction. So again, they understand, for example, the default is employee safety first. 
right? And then the next priority, delivering on our customer commitments. So, and that's, um, I, there's, we find there's very little time for bureaucracy right now, right? And that's just very, very different. The reality changes day to day and the people closest to the decision point is where we're really having to move our decision-making. And, in, and we're not even conscious of doing that, right? We're just adapting to the reality. And um, there's, real, there's something called network learning that I'm starting to tune into um, in this idea of moving decision-making more broadly in an organization and encouraging people to make those decisions in our instance with input from our customers so that we're being nimble and responsive and people feel empowered to act on information that they have uh, so that we can, you know, keep our head above water. So I, I know I've asked you many questions and I'm interrupting my own question stream here, but I want to put a point on a couple of things you said, because I think they're so interesting and there's so much to digest. The first is trying to balance lots of new procedures with, with the years it would take to put that all in writing. So trying to have guidance is, so that's, that's an important consideration for teams out there working on this. The other that I really like, because it's going to lead to a later question I have for you, is push, pushing out within the organization some authority and decision-making because otherwise everyone will be frozen. They'll be afraid to do anything and they'll be afraid. So that's really neat. But network learning, brand new to me, sounds like something that, um, that we'll be exploring further here at Adam and Teen. But this idea returning to your theme of interconnectedness and returning to a, a perpetual adamantine theme, which is everything is going to be different and how are we going to prepare for it? And it seems to me that network learning is taking advantage of the dispersal of your organization and turning that into a benefit instead of a, instead of a con that you're all out in the world handling this with some autonomy and some interconnectedness. Um, could you, and you can be making this up as you go along because that's what we do here. Um, but can you expand a little upon this? The, this just I, I'm having a visual of all these dots out in the world connecting. How is that learning going to trickle back and around? Do you have any first thoughts about that? Yeah, um, I have been exposed by making this up as I go along. Um, not really. And I have to say, that this whole idea of enabling people to tap into one another's expertise and even our customers and act in real time is uncomfortable in some ways. Mm -hmm. If you in, in in our previous organizational cultures and structures, but but we but we also know we know this from you know experience that and in the evidence suggests that where people are empowered to act that organizations are more productive and efficient than when they feel like they always have to look up to, to someone else for guidance. I mean, we already know that. This is just sort of, to your point, making us blow right through the uncomfortable nature of how that works and say, well, in reality, there's no way a hierarchical structure can keep up with what's happening around us, right? So it's mm -hmm. forcing us to just blow right through that and say, okay, this is the situation we find ourselves in. For us, 
we were in the fortunate situation of having rolled out Microsoft Teams to the organization middle of last year and transitioned all our phones and everything to Teams. And so we had a lot of ways of virtually connecting already. And so for us, that became really convenient because we could say to people, go collaborate in the ways that we've already set up, right? You don't have to develop new ways. But then taking your, one of your earlier questions was then how did we take that and not just say, okay, well, you can all talk amongst and works amongst yourselves. We don't have to communicate. That won't work, right? So we've done a lot more um, all staffs, town halls, um, a lot more. We have at least some sort of weekly communication where we get our enterprise from across the country together. And in more so than in the past, those conversations have focused on the human aspects of this and on creating a sense of community, shared purpose, shared commitment which is something that we didn't spend as much time on in those communications previously because we were seeing each other in the hall or around the, the, the table in the cafe or you know, at the annual corn toss tournament you know, where we cook hot dogs and you know, hamburgers too, which we're not gonna have for a while. Good, so we're getting awesome questions, thank you, and also um, some pushback from our audience, which I appreciate, which is, uh, you know, I, 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 this is Tisha's interpretation, enough arm waving, like tell us how to get some of this stuff done. So a, a, a really important component is the logistics of health and safety of employees. There's all the existing, so, so for um, oil and gas companies, for gas utilities, there's all the existing layers of regulations that they have. And then we're gonna add on COVID related layers um, how are you handling this in, um, in actuality? Is there a team that's digesting this and communicating it out? Is it falling to each location to narrate this for themselves? How can an organization um, navigate this web of complica complicated responsibilities with an eye, not just to the bureaucracy, but to the actual health and safety of their employees? Yeah. Um, so our example, I'll give you, I'll give you our example because it's the only one I know, right? And we're an organization of a little over 400 people in six states. So, um, I, you know, I'm sure there's organizations on this call that are much more complicated and dispersed than that, but it, it's, it's big enough to be interesting and complicated. And um, so at an, we have a daily officer team meeting um, in which we work through um, do we have any, do we have any issues? Amazingly, we have no COVID-19 cases in our employee base or their families, which is just extraordinary. Um, do we have any uh, shifts in the local uh, stay-at-home orders or our isolation orders and how will that impact our, op um, our operations? And we review those at this, a corporate level and an officer team level to understand legally where we stand. We, we, for example, in Illinois, we're considered an essential, an essential service, but, but we need a le legal clarification on that. So we do that. We, we get those things done at an officer team or executive level. And then once we have clear footing, then we push it out to the different business units or the different facilities managers to implement that and respond back us, up to us with how they're implementing it based on, is this facility one where people are really going to do field work? And so 
how do we, how do we, uh, what considerations do we need to have for our customers and whether they want us in their facilities or not? And what other different considerations do we have? Um, what are the local laws and regulations and how are those changing? Um, and then with, but those managers in those facilities or those business units have the authority to figure out what's going to work best for them individually. And um, so I, it seems to be working. Um, I would say that every week we're figuring out something again that, that we didn't think of and what we're finding as uh, that the information that's coming back up to us is all of those people are having calls with their colleagues like this and sharing perspectives on how do you think about entry into a customer's facility? Or if you're like, particularly a lot of our customers are, you, are electric and gas utilities, thinking about how you schedule field work and how many people you need to have doing field work and what type of virtual tools can you use instead of going out to the field. So one of the things that we've already started to do is where we do audits on energy efficiency in California, we've shifted to a platform where the customer takes pictures of the installation and sends them back to us for verification as part of our audit tool. And we've gone from dispatching someone out to do an audit to them doing it at a desk in their house. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So uh, we got a question, which I'll expand upon a bit because I think it's so interesting, which is of course, um, there's not infinite uh, COVID test kits. So we don't have any idea about exposures or immunities unless someone has gotten ill and been tested. Um, as you're, so, you, so there's no one in your organization that's a known COVID-19 uh, case. How, how do you think about testing um, going forward? And, and, and also, of course, there's all these things that we are now allowed to do that we wouldn't have been allowed to do, like taking temperatures and medical questionnaires. Um, how are you thinking about those things to the extent that you're ready to share um, publicly? Because these are going to be touchy issues for all of us. Really good question. I mean, as I look through our reentry planning list for facilities um, and we think about employee access, customer, um, I mean, will we ever have visitors again? What is the right distance for social distancing? What is the right use of PPE and shielding? How often should we clean and with what mechanisms should we have food services or not? How should we handle mail and incoming shipments and in dealing with those? What modifications do we need? How do we even procure PPE and what do we really need? All of those things require us to make some professional judgments that or frankly, based on our understanding of individual health. And we're not medical professionals. So one of the things that, that we're doing is we're trying to engage medical counsel to advise us as we even figure out how, how we're going to, what provisions we're going to make so we know that we're making the right ones. And your point about testing is a, is a great point. What, what test would you use and how would it work and what would it tell you and then what would you do with it? as far as communicating to, uh, in, in a policy to our employees about how we can work safely together. And that there's so many questions that we don't have the answers to. And then even when we get some answers, none of us in our organization are medical professionals. So we've actually been working to identify that resource. 
And as you can imagine right now, medical professionals are general, a bit busy. And major insurance providers are not providing the service yet. Um, the, there, are, there are, of course, companies that are beginning to pull this together, but at a time when our medical professionals are frontline dealing with this issue in their communities. And there's so many, the science um, is not quite certain yet on when should you use face shielding versus an N95 mask? How would you test a temperature and what would it tell you? What do antibodies mean? So uh, medical counsel and advisors in some form are gonna be vital to all of our efforts. They're gonna be in short supply. So it's gonna be really important that we're finding ways to aggregate, right? Um, and in, in, in leverage that counsel. And I know people are gonna probably do that in trade associations or through other peer groups because we, we were gonna be trying to implement science as it is discovered over the next eight months. That's such a great point. I have perhaps infinite lawyer briefings in my inbox about considerations, which are, are gonna be really thorny and, and challenging, but I have zero medical briefings in my email inbox about uh, how I could consult with someone on this topic. So that's really interesting and a nice flag uh, for trades and for organizations like mine to help think about how we can create resources um, that, that companies and organizations can share. The top question we have from our audience is to return to the question I interrupted you on about communications. So what do back to work teams need to be thinking about, about how they communicate? Does the method change? And uh, love any thoughts you have about email versus your Microsoft Teams resource versus uh, webinars, video conferences, and, and all of this I would layer on is about getting buy-in to this as well and not feeling a more isolated from leadership in a situation like this. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll get to the tactical, but I do want to go back up to the top um, in that we're all grasping for stability here. And when we think about communicating in our organizations, stability sort of directly related to transparency in communications. And for us, we've taken the tack that we communicate frequently and we're honest about the answers that we don't have. And, uh, and that means uh, individual managers at an officer team level and below in daily communications with our teams, but also being deliberate about enterprise-wide communication. So someone doesn't feel like there's different treatment happening in different parts of an organization, that we're prioritizing everyone equally. And um, in, in doing that, um, also communicating with compassion as human beings. Um, if, if we don't communicate authentically as human beings, I mean, if, this, if there's nothing else this pandemic does is level us all down to remind, remember we're all human beings here, right? And there's nothing touchy-feely about that. It is reality. We are all vulnerable to this. And reflecting that in our communications and being honest with my team when, you know, I can say this is mind boggling to me every day. That's just a reality. Um, and in communicating in an authentic way, I think it's directly related to trust and trust links you back to stability and everybody's looking for footing here. So I think being um, transparent, compassionate human in our communications is absolutely vital. Um, 
And uh, the New Zealand Prime Minister, uh, Jacinda Ardern, who's emerging as a superstar in some ways in this, of uh, just really tamping down community spread in her country, uh, started off when they went to isolation measures and really limiting measures with very direct and official guidance, uh, as a prime minister would, and ended her remarks with five words, be strong and be kind. And I think we have to remember that. I think it's great counsel. And we and try to do that in all of our communications is convey a sense of strength and stability and compassion and kindness. So well done on her. Now the tactical stuff, um, like I said, we're doing all staff, webcast, um, all um, town halls. We're encouraging all of our meetings to be done in um, video format, with, both internally and, with, and with, our, with our customers. Interestingly, we're finding that we're already getting visual fatigue from some of that video comms all the time being on. So we're starting to, to think about how, how we adjust that. Um, what, Tisha, what do you think are, we should be thinking about when we think about communicating? Because I'm, I'm so busy doing what we're doing, I'm afraid maybe I don't have, I, I can't see the forest for the trees. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting because uh, we are thinking about this a lot with our clients. And I agree with you that the tactical um, and the financial only communications are completely falling flat. So because um, particularly um, on the oil and gas EMP and midstream side, all of this is being uh, underlain by uh, massive, massive capital reductions. And there's a lot of communications focused on capital reductions and workforce reductions and uh, needing this human element at a time when um, not only are we talking about uh, being isolated, but then in a return to work, giving up things that a lot of people just aren't comfortable with, having to communicate with you about my health, having to communicate with you about maybe who I, where I've been and did I get on a plane? And so I do think that we're gonna have to quite, and some of our audience questions bring up questions for which there is no answer, which is why are we suddenly allowed by the federal government to ask you questions about your health and take your temperature? Well, the reason is we're in a pandemic, but that doesn't mean that our employees are gonna be comfortable with that. And so I do think getting buy-in, as you raised in your early remarks, to the culture, the culture of shared responsibility and the culture of um, shared safety um, going forward. I think that's really important. And, and there's a shift that I can't quite characterize now that we have set corporate standards and expectations and policies around safety, for example. Um, and, but, but all, more often than not, I think we, we, we tend to fall back on it's the individual's responsibility and to themselves. And yeah, we have some corporate accountability, but we're shifting to something very different, which reflects our understanding that my behavior direct can directly affect the health and well-being of my, my, my colleagues. And in ways that seemed very mundane, like do I, how do I wash my hands, right? Mm -hmm. This isn't about me wheel, operating some heavy equipment recklessly. Um, it's like things that we, that are just personal everyday actions that now can have implications for the health and well-being of other people. And it's, 
I think it's going to have implications for how we think about culture, excuse me, how we think about safety culture um, in, the, in the workplace. And, um, and then even how we think about what it means to be healthy and safe. Um, we're starting to talk about the mental health impacts of people being isolated and working from home with their kids. I mean, one of our employees is working from a shed in his backyard because he's got in-laws and young children in, in, a, in a small house, right? Um, that's going to that's gonna have some impact on a, on a, on a person's mind. I've been on more than one Zoom call with uh, a parent in their closet hanging, with clothes hanging about their head. So yes, this, this is, we are in uncharted territory for sure. And, and how we all perform in that and how we maintain our, um, our stamina and our motivation and our commitment is a, is a corporate concern. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't, I don't know what it means, but I think that we have to, asking new questions means that we begin to develop a new baseline of what it means to provide for the safety of, of employees. And, and I don't know what that, I don't know what that means yet. A couple of our um, audience members have asked uh, some relating related questions. One was about how you set up a site to do a virtual brainstorm. So where can people come together and brainstorm? Because that is one of the things that I, I personally am suffering from in this moment is there is a kind of magic that happens in person that is much harder to recreate in this kind of environment. Um, so if you could speak to that and then um, how you are starting to think about your convenings, same thing without the magic of, a, of an audience and everything that happens outside of everything that's, that's happening to our audience right now, but isn't having the magic of being in person. How are you thinking about those two things? I know we're all missing the magic of in-person, Tisha. Um, I've almost forgot the question. I got so excited about virtual that. Uh, brainstorming and yeah. gatherings. So, so this week, actually, I'm doing a series of internal roundtables that are two hours every day with different groups of people, which is we've determined is the actual max limit. I've determined the max limit is really an hour and 50 minutes. Right. Um, we just can't. We just can't focus on screens that long mm -hmm. and um but to do we're working on something creative right now and we're using like in teams there's a plug-in that's a whiteboard and okay. we can actually draw and, and we're using that and um there's chat functions and there's a lot of visual aspects for for that um but also just reminding the run of show is going to be different than it is in person when you have to leave room, you have to hold the silences because people have to figure out what they think and then figure out how to unmute, right? Whereas if you were looking around a table at someone, you could read body language, right? Or somebody was you know, literally raising their hand. So um, we're exploring it. I would say that, you know, making sure that we're not keeping people too long and that we're providing some visual way to capture information is, is really important and um, making sure to, to reach out to people that you're not hearing from and say, hey, you didn't raise your hand, but, but we need to hear from you. It's a work in progress though, really. Um, and the second aspect of your question. The what? gathering, the gatherings. And I'll tell you that at Adam and Teen, so we're experimenting, obviously you, you all are seeing with webinars, with interviews, 
with, um, we're doing some small groups and we'll be also experimenting with those breakout room sessions. So we also will hopefully have some feedback on what's working, what's not working and trying to create that magic. And it sounds like Microsoft Teams is a resource that I need to explore as well. Yeah, it's been hugely helpful for us and our customers are finding that it's easy, easy to use as well. Um, so I, there's so many, there's so many new digital platforms out there for, for us, we're trying to approach it at a corporate level of making sure we, we've identified tools that are safe, right? That we can prevent uh, bombing, uh, you know, Zoom bombing. Of. Right. Um, and in rolling that guidance out across the organization, we also have an enterprise-wide team convened to establish best practices for virtual convening, which is just starting with the basics of how do we create experiences that are virtual that reflect how we approach in-person meetings where you would greet someone at the door and we'd have a plate of cookies and we'd make sure that we were connecting with them as people. How do we do that in virtual settings? And in figuring out some ways that we can do that. I wouldn't say we have any best practices quite to share yet, but we're also, we have an education and training business. So we're also looking at different platforms for delivering our training and our meeting convening in virtual formats, as well as creating some um, virtual reality aspects to it, um, which are really exciting and, um, and there are a lot of a lot of different aspects to navigate and get familiar with across your organization. So it's, some of it's going to take time, but we're very much approaching this as this is going to be the new normal. This is not something we're just doing in the extraordinary period. So um, just figure out how to have better teleconferences for three months, and then we'll all go back to normal. We, yeah, as you finish, as you figure out some of those uh, virtual best practices, I'd love to share that with our audience. We might as well all improve upon the foundations that that others are building. So um, last question for you before I head into our lightning round, which is to return to a theme from the beginning, which is um, return to work teams also have the opportunity to be accelerating the transformation that may have been um, wise before this pandemic or uh, that may be required to respond to whatever the future will hold for all of us. How are you thinking about setting your structures up for the unknown future and accelerating transition and accelerating innovation? So um, we, are, we are off map here, right? Um, and we're first, like I said, acknowledging that. Uh, let's overcome the normalcy bias. The, some of our previous plans won't play out the way we thought they would. So we're, having, we're, we're focusing a lot on uh, capabilities for innovation and creativity and bring in finding structured ways to bring new thinking in. So we're doing a, a, a weekly video cast um, that's just 30 minutes on one of these topics to bring in some expert view. So it gives, um, gives people something to, some fodder to put into their thinking as we position for the new normal because it's a, it, across our business, our customers' needs are changing. The tools and services we deliver have to change. Um, but we're also still very much, I look at this as there's, there's four, kind of four phases we're working through here. Discover, design, decide, and then deliver the new thing. And we're still in the discovery phase on, on a lot of this. We're not even quite yet to design. And just making sure that people understand that's okay. 
as long as we're moving forward and we're focused on our commitment to our customers and our and enhancing our mission, that forward progress is good and we, it may not be accelerated on any given day. That's great. Give us your four D's again. Discover, design, decide, deliver. Nice. Thank you. Um, and one of our audience members is sharing um, some other virtual brainstorming resources for all of us. So Stormboard and Miro, M-I-R-L. So some other resources for, um, for those of us who are experimenting with this. So we're ending all of our interviews, Paula, with um, a lightning round of questions. So uh, I have three for you. So the first one is, have you discovered any quirky um, isolation management solutions that others might uh, enjoy or learn from or just make fun of you for? Oh, that's a hard one, Tisha, because I feel like um, I'm not managing it as well as I'd like to. I miss, I miss my friends and my family, right? So I, I don't think it's quirky, but thank heavens for FaceTime and WhatsApp videos. That's right. Yeah. And, and I know the questions aren't for me, but I've just discovered the puzzle and podcast. So everyone in my family knows there's a certain time of the evening that I'm puzzling and listening to a podcast. It would be best not to disturb me. Um, what's your go-to book or books right now? Um, so I, it's, it sounds weird, but I only let myself read the newspaper on the weekends. Um, and so that's actually my reading right now because I'm too tired by the end of the night. So my books right now are, um, are uh, the, the newspapers on the weekend. And that's where I catch up with what's going on in the world. I know it's super nerdy. Super nerdy, but that's okay. So good. I Everyone can't bear it during the week. There's I no want to liberate it from both the requirement to read a book and to read the news until the weekend. So you, you, have, you now have permission. And then the third part is what part of this isolation do you want to carry forward? Yeah, so I'm thrilled to be traveling less. And uh, I, I usually travel every week. And being a single mother um, with a teenage son, and, uh, it, the logistics of that are challenging. So I'm very much enjoying everybody joining me in uh, this virtual workspace. And I'm hoping to hold on to that and travel less in the new normal. Nice, nice. Well, Paula, thank you so much for being with us. Um, I also wanna thank our audience for joining us. We'll be doing another interview with an expert um, to keep one eye on the future next week with Katie Bays and Stephanie Miller from Sand Hill Strategies. Well, there we'll be looking at the political and investor trends that will be affecting the oil and gas industry as we go forward. Um, both Paula and I, I, speak, I can speak for you, I hope Paula, want to know what you thought about this. So let us know, send us a note. We want to make it better. And um, in, the, in the wise words of the New Zealand Prime Minister, be strong and stay strong and be kind. Thanks so much for being here, Paula. Thanks to Thank the you. wonderful. Take care, everyone. Stay safe. That's our episode for today. Thanks to Paula Gant for taking the time to share her insights with us. We want to know what you think about what you've heard here. Please visit our podcast website at energythinks.com podcast and tell us. You can subscribe to Energy Thinks on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you're hearing, please help by rating the podcast. Thank you for listening to Energy Thinks. Until next time. I'm Tisha Schuler, wishing you and yours happiness, prosperity, and good.